record. Okay. Uh, good evening. Uh, so we're going to begin to get in the Purim mode by uh, looking at the first uh, chapter of... Um, okay, can you hear? Yeah, the noise uh, is going to be a little... I'll, I'll speak loudly, but uh, part of the, uh, the pleasure of having a full Beit Midrash is the noise factor. Can you hear? Can you hear okay? Yeah. Okay. Let me know if I can speak even louder. I have, I have good uh, vocal cords. I've learned, how, I've learned how to exercise them. Okay, so as the curtain opens on uh, Megillah, the, the scene is a lavish party for really half a year. 180 days, as uh, Pasuk Dalit says, Shmonim Umeat Yom. For literally half a year, we see there's a party that's taking place in the palace, and Achashverosh is entertaining his ministers and advisors with endless food, plentiful drink, exquisite uh, vessels, and there's no reference to the Jews uh, or their enemies for the entire first parak of the Megillah which begs the question of it being superfluous to the narrative, right? Or put other, uh, put, put differently, what purpose does the first parak of Megillat Esther play? We could argue that it's there to set up for the main plot, which is Esther, Achashverosh, and Haman, and Vashti, but is all of the detail that's uh, described in the first parak necessary to set up the plot in that way? The Hi, good evening. Okay, we just uh, just got started, and we're just setting up the, uh, the stage. I'm going to speak a little loudly so that you can hear, uh, because part of the beauty of uh, a full Beit Midrash is having lots of voices learning Torah simultaneously. Um, okay, so the question that I raised on the first parak of the Megillah is its place in the overall plot. It seems a little bit superfluous because there's no mention of the Jews, there's no mention really of the Jews' enemy, Haman. It seems to be a detailed description of the lavish parties. And so what is the purpose of that in the overall picture of the Megillah? Any ideas? Any thoughts? Well, it, I mean, parties show up later on when Esther throws a couple of parties and taking advice without really thinking it through shows up later on. Okay. So, so they're just setting, so, up the, setting up the king. So parties play a pivotal role, like different turns in the plot happen at parties, right? Certainly in the way that Esther is able to get Achashverosh's attention and to have uh, him turn on Haman. That happens in the context of a party. So perhaps the first chapter is sort of setting us up for the culture of parties that exists um, and without uh, the materialism that was that was uh, prevalent there compared to the Jews and the spirituality that you were expecting from Mordecai and Esther to have and then, you know, later on the idea of giving Mishloach my note you kind of wonder why did they have to give Mishloach my note if this was such a, a rich kingdom and uh, okay so maybe if I'm understanding you correctly, that the first uh, chapter serves as a little bit of a contrast to the Jewish population, 
that the the king lives in uh, or, or the kingdom has lavish wealth, uh, whereas the Jews might not, and so there's sort of a spiritual, physical binary that's being brought out. Yeah, so it could be that he has. Uh, exclusive or just unique wealth, which would not be un, 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 unusual for kingdoms um, in that time. Okay, so what I'd like to do is, um, with this question in mind of what is the purpose of the first parak within the overall plot, to do a scan of the first few psukim of the Megillah and ask several questions. And then we're going to look at the approach of the Malbim, um, who ties together uh, several Ma'amare Chazal, several uh, uh, passages from uh, the rabbis, who answer some of the questions that we will raise by combing through the first few, few psukim. And ultimately, we're going to see that the party is less about, or the first chapter is less about uh, the party, and it's more about the host and getting uh, insight into the host of the party. Okay. Now, were the golden vessels they talk about seven? Were those from like the Beit Midrash? Yep. So that's in in, in Masechet Megillah, and that's why the reader for the Megillah reads that pasuk in a uh, trup of Echa, a mourning, sorrowful kind of tune to sort of wink or sort of hyperlink, right, at the, to, to the Chorban uh, Beit HaMikdash, that um, uh, there is a connection between Achashverosh and uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the ransacking of the Beit HaMikdash and the seizing of the vessels that were being desecrated at this party. So uh, there's a whole approach of looking at the first parak really through that lens, that this first parak shows the level of assimilation that the Jews had, that they were trying to um, impress the king uh, by being part of his party and even going so far as to use the vessels of the Beit HaMikdash for this party um, in a way they were really selling out their souls. So right. there's something about was like um, Akashverosh was expecting like in 70 years it was going to be the time that the yeah so there is a, a whole calculation about um, when uh, or how long the exile was supposed to last um, and that's a, a intricate mathematical calculation we'll um, we won't get into it uh, too specifically because I want to try to really get to the approach of the Malbim and tease that out to uh, recreate this uh drama as we uh, prepare for Perm. Okay, so let's begin with the Psukim and we'll go in order and I'll ask several questions as we go along and um, we'll go from there. Okay, so Vayihibimei Achashverosh Hu Achashverosh Hamolech Mehodu Viadkush Sheva Veasrim Umea Medina So it was in the days of Achashverosh He was Achashverosh who ruled from India to Ethiopia for uh, over 127 uh, uh, lands or, or provinces. So, Bayamim Hahem, during these days, Keshevet Hamelach Achashverosh Al Kisei Malchuto Asher Beshushan Habira. And it happened in these days when Achashverosh was sitting as the king 
in his chair, ruling over in Shushan Habira. So the first question is, um, uh, the first thing that I notice is, how is Achashverosh referred to in the second Pasuk? What's his title? Melech. Melech Achashverosh. Now, if we look at all of the other um, instances in which Achashverosh is mentioned in the Megillah, he is always introduced as Melech Achashverosh. There's one exception, the first pasuk. The first pasuk here we have twice. Why is Achashverosh's title left out at the very beginning of the Megillah? Okay, that's going to be question number one. What is the uh, author of the Megillah telling us through this, uh, we could say, purposeful omission of Achashverosh as king? Well, okay. Would it be redundant to say, Well, Hamolech is a verb, right? That he was ruling. Okay, so he was um, uh, uh, someone who can be Meloch without being a Melech. Right? Someone can rule over by being a Nasi or some other kind of position. So it's a good point that we do have uh, some indication in this Pasuk that he is acting like a king, but it still contrasts with the other instances in which Achashverosh is introduced through the title Melech, and he's not here at the very first time that he's introduced. Okay, so um, also something which is a little bit strange is that in Pasuk Bet, where is um, Achashverosh ruling from? Shushan. Um, and, um, and he's not ruling uh, from, um, uh, from Bavel which is where the other Persian kings had ruled from. So it, uh, it's striking. Uh, we know from the book of Ezra, which describes the Persian kings, that their kingdoms were located in Bavel and not in, um, in Persia, or not in Shushan. So why is, that, why is it that his uh, kingdom is located in Shushan? Okay, moving along to Pasuk Gimel. Bishnat Shalosh Lamalko, in the third year of his kingdom, of his reign, he made a party for all of his officers and all of his servants. So he did this for all of the um, commanders of Persia and Media the uh, aristocracy and the officials of the provinces were all before him. So let me ask another question. Um, and I mean, this gets to your question a little bit in terms of when was it that um, this party started? If we look at Pasuk Bet, it seems that this party started at what point during Achashverosh's reign? It doesn't say. It just says those days. It says Bayamim Hahem, right? Kishevat Hamelach. Kishevat Hamelach might indicate that it's when he began uh, to uh, sit, but it could also be during the time of, right? 
Whereas in Pasuk Gimel, it says specifically the third year. Right? So we could read those two as being in conflict with each other. And indeed, Chazal in Masechet Megillah asked this question and say, when was it that the party began? Was it at the beginning of his reign? which is, seems to be the shot of uh, Pasuk Aleph and Bet, which is introducing him and saying when he began to rule, or is it during the third year? And so this ties into the whole timeline about calculating the, um, uh, the time in which the Jews were meant to conclude their exile, and then when that timeline was uh, miscalculated or misunderstood, then he threw a party um, which happened in the third year. So it could be that there was a sort of stop and start. That's how Chazal reconcile it. But I think on a pshat level, what you were saying, David, would also make sense, which is that Keshevet doesn't necessarily mean the very beginning. It could just be referring to during the time of. Um, so the contradiction isn't uh, necess- necessary. Um, okay, so we have... Um, uh, uh, the scene of Achashverosh throwing this party for all of the aristocracy and all of the military officers. Continuing in Pasuk Dalid, Baharoto uh, et Osher Kivod Malchuto, he was um, showing off his wealth, um, the honor of his kingdom, Vet Yakar Tiferet Gidulato and the beauty um, and majesty of his greatness during those many days, which were Shmonim Umeatyom, which were 180 days. So um, I think even the Megillah itself is uh, indicating that this party was very long because it not only says Shmonim Umeayom, it also says Yamim Rabim, right? Which is sort of describing that it was really, really long, right? And so um, I think the uh, the second big question that I want to raise, the first was really about the introduction and why Achashverosh is not introduced as Melech. The second question I want to raise is uh, with regard to the role that partying plays in the first chapter. Who was running the country for 180 days when uh, all this partying was taking place? If all of the who was collecting the garbage, who was collecting taxes, who was making the military decisions, there seemed to be this... Uh, uh, oh, no. At the beginning of the party, it's just the officials. Okay. It's not, it's not everyone. So maybe not the trash collectors, but it seems like it's all of the military officials and all of the... Okay. Right? The Cheo Paras Umadai are the... Uh, the whole army. Are, are, are the uh, the officers okay. right? So and would you have expected Bavel to be mentioned as one of the one of the provinces invited to the party? Um, potentially. Um, so uh, the question is really about why. Uh, what role does the, the do the parties uh, play here? 
Um, and then in Pasuk so when those days of the 180 days were completed, um, then he made a asa hamelach lechol ha'am hanim tzimishushan. Then he made a party for the peasants, for the masses, um, who were located bishushan hevira in the capital city. Lemigdol v'ad katan from big till to, to small. Mishte shivat yamim bechatzer ginat hamelach, and he did this for seven days in the courtyard of the garden of the king. So again we see a second party that is thrown and um, if we skip down to Pasuk Tet we'll see that there is a third party that's happening. Gam Vashti Hamalka Asta Mishta Nashim Beit Hamalchut Asher Lamelech Achashverosh. So at the same time that Achash that Achashverosh was throwing parties, Vashti was throwing some party as well for the women. We don't know if that party was happening concurrently with the seven-day party for the masses or with the 180-day party for the aristocracy. But um, we know that there were at least three parties that were taking place. And um, in the Dat Mikra, uh, quotes the, uh, the Evan Shoshan Concordance, which records that there, the word Mishtez only mentioned 19 times in Tanakh. Ten of which are in Megillah Tester. Mishteh. Yeah. So, um, and I think most of them, uh, or, or several of them, we've already seen, at least three um, are mentioned in the first parak. So, the idea of a milamancha, of a word that leads, a thematic word that sets the tone for something, um, would suggest that the word mishteh is actually quite critical to the plot. So we have to try and understand why. What was it about this mishteh that is important for the remainder of the plot of Megillat Esther? Okay. So, just to um, summarize where we are, uh, there were th really three questions that uh, three questions that we asked on these first nine psukim. We skipped a little bit uh, for the sake of time, but the three questions are: Why Achashverosh without the title king? Um, and what's the significance of uh, so many uh, mentionings of the party? And then why are there numerous parties? Why are they happening in different times, in different places, with different audiences? Right, so maybe we could combine it related to two questions. One about Achashverosh and his title, and the other about sort of the, the, the parties. Okay. So now I want to begin to build an approach um, based on several statements of Chazal regarding the biography of Achashverosh, who this man was, where he came from, why he married Vashti, um, and then we will read the Malbim who uses these rabbinic sources to uncover the political dynamics um, that animate the details of the first chapter. Okay, so let's look at um, source number two from Masechet Megillah. So Hamolech. So that's the and from the first pasuk in the uh, Megillah. 
Hamolech, Amar Rav. So Rav says, what is this verb, Hamolech, who was ruling? What does that mean? Shemalach um, me'atzmo. So Rav says that he ruled on his own accord, that this is Achashverosh, that this word indicates that Achashverosh was ruling of his own, on his own. So what does that mean? Some people in the Beit Midrash said that this description of Achashverosh and his rise to power was a positive thing, and some say that it was a negative thing. Those who say that it was a positive thing, because there was no one else who was worthy of the kingship more so than he was. Okay, so meaning he was a self-made man and he was um, uh, uh, meritorious and deserving of his position. Okay? And some say that the word that he ruled of his own accord is actually indicating something negative. That really Achashverosh was not worthy of the kingdom. So rather he paid an excessive sum of money and thereby ascended to his position. So when it says that he was a self, uh, when the Puzzle says that's indicating that he made it there on his own, but he made it there by buying his way into it. I mean, if you say that that he, you know, that it was a good thing, you know, it probably usually when it, if he had come from royalty, it would have said who his father was. So that sort of does say that he sort of got there on his own because it's just out of nowhere this guy Achashverosh shows up. Right. It's not Achashverosh Ben whatever. Yeah. So the absence of uh, royal lineage is really significant, and the. Um, uh, the next or uh, 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 one of the sources we're going to see later is going to um, fill in the void even more in terms of who this man Achashverosh was but for now um, we see that his he, he had um, no immediate connection to uh, a father who was a king um, and we see that his lack of uh, connection could be interpreted positively or negatively. Right? Chazal debated and look at it both ways. So either um, either Achashverosh was um, worthy of his position, or he was unworthy, but he bought his way into it, and that was how he rose to his position. Yeah. No, I was going to say that can also have a bearing on why his throne was in Shushan and not Babel. If, you know, there may have been people in Babel who were of royal lineage and he couldn't assume it from there. Okay, good. So uh, we're already, you're already getting ahead to the Malbim who is okay, connecting the dots, which is great. Baruch <laughs> Shekivant. 
it's great to anticipate, uh, but the Malba makes that point that the, that that the that shifting the palace from Bavel to Shushan was strategic because the line of royalty uh, had been in Bavel and he wanted to start new in his with his own uh, in, in his own space. Okay. Um, Okay, so according to the second camp here, um, Achashverosh was uh, unable to secure the respect of the people through political uh, prowess, um, and instead he exploits his wealth um, and his capacity to throw a good party to um, generate the appearance of power and control. And that's just a, so, so that uh, already is uh, touching on an answer to why all the parties, right? That the parties were a mechanism for him to use his wealth to give off the appearance of being um, uh, powerful. Okay. And there's a sequence too of he's feasting. Yeah. And then, you know, he kind of starts with the officials of the army. And then, you know, it's like, okay, let's get these guys solid. Right. And we'll sort of make a progression through the, through the population. Yeah. So we're already um, uh, sort of understanding that the first parak is much more about the host of the parties and understanding where he comes from than about um, the specifics of the party itself. Meaning there is a, the subplot here is understanding who this man is and where he comes from, okay? And how he rises to power. And we'll see how that plays a role essentially um, as, as the Megillah continues. Let's continue. I want to still tie together a few more Ma'amarei um, Chazal. So let's go to source number three. So this is also from a Sechet Megillah, Daf Yud Amud Bet. Um, so Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmini Patach Le Pitcha Lahai Parshata Mehacha. So there's actually a string of Ma'amarot uh, of. Um, Where are you now? Oh, did I. Uh, we go to the mobile. Oh, I'm sorry. I was. Uh, I'm reading from my notes, which is a. Um, I might have ordered them differently. Oh yeah. Okay. So you know what? Let's go to. Let's go to source number five. In my notes, I uh, I labeled them slightly differently, but the Malbim's going to quote this. So let's uh, do source number five before we go to source number three. Okay. Um, so in uh, this uh, passage. Um, the uh, Gemara reads as follows: Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachmani patach lepitcha lahai parshata mehacha. He would um, open up his drasha on the Megillah with the following pasuk, and this is in a section of Masachat Megillah, which is a few dapim long, in which it lists all of the rabbis and how they would open up their Purim sermons, and all of them would start through a specific pasuk uh, outside the Megillah and from that pasuk then enter into the story of the Megillah. So there was a sort of uh, model uh, for how they would open up their shirim 
on the Megillah and they listed all of the different entry points for talking about the Megillah. So Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmini used the following pasuk from Yeshayahu, Tachat HaNa'atzutz Ya'ala Barosh V'tachat HaSirpat Ya'ala Hadas. So the last piece of that is that in the place, instead of the uh, nettle, a myrtle shall rise. That's a, uh, I'm not even sure what a nettle is. That's a sirpad. Anyone know what? It's a type of what? It's a, it's a kind of. It's a kind of prickly. Uh, okay. Something undesirable. Yeah, it's it's definitely something um, undesirable, and that from that will come uh, something yala hadas. A myrtle will come, which is something desirable. So, how does Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmeni use this pasuk from Yeshaya? Uh, so, Tachat Hasirpat, Tachat Vashti Harisha, Bat Beno Shel Nevuchad Netzer Harasha, Shesaraf Rifidat Beit Hashem. So, from this um, thorny, uh, you know, undesirable plant will come something pleasant from Nebuchadnezzar who was involved in ransacking the Beit HaMikdash. He was a true Russia. From him comes who? Who is his granddaughter? Vashti. Okay. So now we see that Ahasuerus' wife came from royal blood. Okay, that's a really important piece uh, for understanding how Ahasuerus rose to power. So he married into royalty. He married into royalty. That was his ticket in. His legitimacy as king had to do with who he married. And now we can already, uh, you know, let's instead of saying it outside, let's let's say it. Uh, let's give credit to the Malbim who says it inside. So now let's go to the Malbim. We'll flip back to uh, source number three, who is going to tie a few things together from the questions that we set out with initially and some of these uh, uh, pa- passages that we just uh, learned from Masachet Megillah. Okay, so Hine Achashverosh Kefi Kabbalat Chachamenu. You know what? I'm realizing that I put things a little bit out of order. I'm going to actually uh, interrupt myself and suggest that we do um, source number six first, because um, the Malbum is also including source number six in his comments, and so it'll be better if we do it in that order. So let's do source number six. So Vaiktsof Hamelach Maod. Um, this is on the bottom of the second page. So the king became very um, angry. Amai Dalka Be Kulehai. Why did he become uh, so furious? What is this referring to? This is after Vashti uh, refuses to appear at the party. So it says Vaiktsof Hamelach Maod. He became very angry. Um, so, um, <coughs> Amar um, Rava Shalchale, she sent to him, um, uh, Vashti sent back to the Melech after his request was made the following um, message. Bar, I'm not sure how to pronounce the next word. It's something like Ahuriyare Daaba. Um, uh, so I don't know how to pronounce it, but I know what it means. <laughs> uh, it means a, a horse boy or a stable boy. 
that um, she said back to him, you were the stable boy of my father. Um, so what do we learn about um, Achashverosh and his um, humble beginnings from um, this comment of Vashti that, that he started out uh, in the stable of Vashti's father. Right? He worked for the king um, in a very lowly way and then he amassed a lot of wealth, a lot of horses, whatever it might have been and as a businessman he worked his way into the position. Um, but Vashti mocks him by publicizing his non-royal uh, origins. And not just non-royal, almost disgraceful, right? That he was raking the hay and cleaning, you know, the stables uh, for the horses. Um, and that was where he began. So, Abu Lakabel Alpha Khamra. Um, Shati Velo Ravi. So she continues in her disgraceful, or her, her disgrace of her husband. She said, My father could, um, I think, like receive or take in um, um, 1,000 barrels of wine and he would not get um, drunk, right? He could hold his liquor well. The <laughs> Hahu uh, um, whereas this man, meaning she's referring to Achashverosh now in the third person, um, gets drunk uh, easily, right? So she's adding insult to injury in saying that you were the um, uh, the stable boy of my father and not only that but you're uh, you know uh, actually can't even hold your liquor well okay so and then miyad and that's why his anger immediately burned up within him and why it says so why did he become so furious he became furious we understand she didn't appear but he became so furious and reacted so vindictively to her behavior because she was undermining all of his authority and all of the work that he had done to climb the ladder to make it to where he was by giving away his cover and showing all the people who were at the party about where Achashverosh came from. Okay, so with those pieces in mind, now let's go through the mob. So in source number three in the bottom here. So vai so hinea khashverosh kifi um kabalat khachamenu hayat khila hadiot. So according to the Mesora of our rabbis, um, which we just saw um, in the name of um uh Rava. Achashverosh at the beginning was a hediot. He was a uh, uh, a regular guy, a commoner. And then later on, through his wealth that he amassed, he became the ruler of um, uh, the kingdom. And he became stronger in his kingdom. Kuf Zayin Demispar Biad 
So he amassed wealth and then he was able to conquer lots of land until he ruled over 127 countries. We know Mehodu Atkush from um, uh, uh, Persia to India. Uh, so if you're following inside here, we're going to have to skip a little bit. Um, so, Laman Tit Kayem Hamalchut Beado. So, in order for Achashverosh uh, to establish the kingdom in his hand, Lakach et Vashti Shahaita Mizera Nevuchanetzar Lo Leisha. So, initially, how did Achashverosh attempt to legitimize? his uh, kingdom. He tried to do it by taking in um, a woman who was already on the inside. He was an outsider to the political uh, universe and he married in. But that was after he became king. That implies that it was after he was already king, which is different from what the Talmud said, that, or implied that he only became king by marrying into It's a little bit murky. I think you can read it either way. You can read Limantit Kayem Hamachut, that in order to strengthen his... Um, his kingdom. His kingdom existed already. It, it, it seems to imply that, yeah, that, that he was already, he had already risen, whether it was he was officially king or whether he was rising in the ranks and he was trying to build his candidacy towards becoming the king. Um, I think it can go either way. But then it wouldn't use the word machuto, right? It says as well on the previous page. It says v'nit chazek for machuto, right? In order for it to continue being. So, we're going to see in the continuation of the Malbim that there were actually, there were a few stages in his um, wielding of power. Right, so um, yeah, he, had chazaka, he, had he had some force. There was some force involved. Yeah, so he he he, he tried to um, uh, consolidate his power um, through marrying Vashti. It's uh, it's unclear whether it seems from the Malbim that 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 happened after he was already in the position of the of the, of the kingship, uh, but whether um, and, but there was also some other. Um, uh, consolidation of power through kibush, through conquering. Okay, so he's like a military man because he's defeated all these right. countries. Right. Right. So th- there are there. So the Malbim is going to say that there are different ways that kings create their own power. Right. So let's see what the Malbim says. So the Malbim came out Malchut Biadol Akachet Vashti Shaita Mizera Nebuchadnezzar Lo Lisha Vehayahayta Yoreshet Atzar, and she was uh, because she was a true heir to the uh, kingdom. And by marrying her, he would uh, be able to dismiss all of the people that said the kingdom doesn't belong to you. Right? Um, because if she married the, uh, if he married the, uh, the, the princess, then the machut would be magialo. So al biado. So through this um, uh, posturing, he was able to uh, legitimize his kingdom. Omitzad hakibush shekavsham biad chazaka umitzad zeh hayayachol nimloch alehem mamlacha biyotim ugbelat. 
So, or the other way in which a king could have um, uh, consolidated power is through conquering, through military might. And um, the display of power through conquering, through warfare, it yields the kind of power that's Bilti Mugbelet. This is part of the Malbim in, 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 in his longer uh, piece, which I sort of took, I, I sort of uh, took parts of. The Malbim is saying that there are two ways to consolidate power. One is through uh, royalty, through being part of a royal family, and the other is through military prowess. Uh, the former is more constricted, whereas the latter is more, ex- and the latter is more expansive. Okay, so Achashverosh worked in stages. Uh, the first thing that he did was to marry in, and then once he had the legitimacy of being part of the royal family, then he went on his uh, military campaign to conquer these 127 lands, and that's how he was able to get this um, uh, this melucha uh, bilti mugbelet. Um, so I sort of just said outside what, what he says now, but reshit mamlachto lachut mugbelet, the beginning we had constricted reign, uh, but he wanted to rule over them with a strong or hand um, without any limitations and this was the essence of his scheme to relocate the palace to a different city to Shushan right? this is something that kings would do they would change the capital of the uh, you know, of their land to demonstrate that there was a new a new a new guy in town. And doing this whole big party there, so all of the uh, behavior that. Achashverosh is doing in the first chapter here is in order to gain power. He is trying to uh, uh, rise to actually um, legitimate um, or legitimize his position and throwing the party is uh, or the emphasis on all the parties is just a means for that uh, goal, right? I think there's a, a, a concept of like conspicuous consumption, right? Which is a concept of using um, money and material possessions um, and impressing uh, people with them, specifically people who could never afford such um, uh, lavish, uh, you know, uh, finery. Um, there if, also would be sort of like the spoils of war, you know, and sort of toting out all this stuff. This is probably all stuff that was taken and pillaging these other places. Right. Yeah. So that's a way of, of, of consolidating power and, um, and also expanding. 
expanding over the kingdom. Yes. So, so we've gone through this whole thing about figuring out who Ahasuerus was, where he came from, how he got there, what he's doing with all the parties, but that doesn't answer the, the first question that you asked about, okay, so what does this have to do with the Jews? Okay. So I, mean, I don't know if you were going to get there. You yeah, so, yeah, I'm so sorry. we'll get there. That's no, fine. All <laughs> about the truth. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like an interesting story about how, this, how he became yeah. king. But right. So, I mean, at, at least for now, it makes the... It, so far, what we've done is we've been able to see the... Uh, the political undercurrent of the first chapter, right, which itself is, is fascinating. And just to finish up the Malbim in his last line to answer another question that we started off with, Right, so this is something that you, 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 David, uh, 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 sort of gathered that the fact that Melech is not used in the first time that Achashverosh is uh, introduced to the scene, but it is used in every other time, indicates that Achashverosh came into the kingdom as an outsider. He was not a king from birth. Which you could read in two ways, as the Gemara reads, right? You could read that, oh, this man earned his position. He worked his way up as a businessman, he proved himself, and uh, through his own merit, he got the position. Or you can read it Lishvach, uh, or Lagnai, um, that he was a corrupt businessman who was able to throw out his money in a manipulative way to seize the power inappropriately. Okay, so you sort of have those two uh, different, uh, potentially different reads of the um, um, of the uh, uh, of, of his rise to power. Um, so just a little bit of support for this literary read of the drama that's animating the first parak. So in the Psukim that we read, we saw that there was this, um, in Pasuk Dalit, if you want to turn over to the first page, we saw that um, it's Beharoto uh, at Osher Kivod Malchuto Gedulato. So how would this uh, fit into the political undercurrent here? Yeah. Right. Um, why does a person need to show off their wealth? So there could be, I'd say, two reasons why a person would want to show off their wealth. Um, one is because they're insecure, right, and they want to uh, prove to uh, people that they um, are worthy of their position, right? Um, or uh, they're not insecure, um, but they know that they want to uh, win people over who weren't previously won over, and so it's a tactic of, uh, we said, you know, conspicuous consumption. Um, okay, another uh, sort of literary sort of support for this um, approach. Um, 
is um, in Pasuk Chet, where uh, the Megillah says that um, he allowed people to do la'asot kirtzon ish ve'ish. He was giving into people's basis desires by throwing money and pleasure at them. And he was, in essence, trying to buy his power. He was bribing the officers and the masses to get his support by letting them um, party like there was no uh, tomorrow. And another uh, support is why um, was it that Vashti um, had a side party and um, at the same time Achashverosh wants to bring her in and have her subjugate uh, herself to him. Um, because he has a love-hate relationship with Vashti. He needs Vashti to be in the picture because in the same way that um, validates his right to the throne, but at the same time, it can be perceived as um, that he didn't earn his authority, but that he married into it, right? So he needs her, uh, but it also can be this melucha mugbela, this mamlacha uh, mugbela. It, it has a limit. It has a limited kind of scope to it. If that's the way in which he was able to get where he got, and so by having her have this uh, party. So he has her on the, having her uh, with the party, she was part of the picture, but she was uh, a side bar. She was a sort of subsidiary to him, and he wanted to make sure that everyone else saw that, which is why he would ask her to come before him in such a um, base uh, and sort of embarrassing and humiliating fashion to show to everyone that even Vashti, who was the rightful heir to the throne, uh, you know, bows uh, and totally gives herself over to me. So the, the 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 parties and the posturing of the parties is part of this political ploy to get power. Okay, um, so we just have a few minutes left, um, and um, uh, so to summarize, what the Malbim is, how the Malbim reads the first parak is that the Malbim reads the first parak as Ahashverosh moving from one type of authority to another um, type of authority. Uh, by demoting his wife and trying to earn his own legitimacy, he wants to increase uh, the scope of power. And he um, does not do this through uh, actually ruling the country, setting policy uh, and serving um, as a judge or setting legislation, um, but he does this uh, by throwing out the person who initially got him in the door. Um, so he uses Vashti as a pawn, 
to show that she was more his wife than the queen of the kingdom. And this would help solve his PR problem of being perceived as marrying into power instead of earning it on his own. Does that also answer your other question about who's running the country? When all these parties are going out, it doesn't really matter who's running the country, is what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, he just, because show, the smoke and mirrors kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, because he's not really capable. Uh, I mean, this is sort of reading Achashverosh as not being uh, a competent king, and he's passive throughout the entire uh, Megillah. He is not a proactive king. We never see him doing things um, uh, uh, to get ahead, but rather he's sort of responding to Esther, he's responding to Haman. Um, we don't see him as an assertive uh, king. Right, so that, See, that doesn't sit right though with somebody who started in such a lowly position and climbed up to be a ruler. I always, I mean, I've been thinking about it during this year now that he must have had a lot of cunning and, you know, just it, it doesn't mesh with what you're saying about him not doing, taking an action. Unless you say that he was really good at getting there, but that required a totally different skill set. Right? That was about plotting and showing power. But once he got there, it was about uh, there was a different set of skills that you need to be a king. And so we see that he's able, you know, he's manipulated by Haman, he's manipulated by Esther. Um, and, 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 you know, and so when we're growing up, we get the story about such marriage as being dumb. Right. And this this reading is saying that he's actually very smart, but it do doesn't necessarily mean that he's a leader. So when you're talking about how he said he says to Haman, you know, do what you want with that nation, right? And why would a king say to somebody, you can do whatever you want with my own subjects? And similarly with Esther, he's like, look, I already you know I already gave you my ring. You know, what do you want from me? Yeah. So similarly, he. He can't really make choices. He seems like a weak ruler, right? He doesn't really assert himself. So I think your answer is a great one. That some people are good at getting to power and not good at using it. So it could be that he fit that uh, profile. But just to conclude, because we're about out of time, uh, to answer the question I began with, so what's the first parak really doing here? How does this fit into the overall... Uh, uh, message of Begilat Esther. So what I'd like to suggest is that ultimately Achashverosh's superficial display of power serves as a contrast to the divine force that ultimately guides the twisting and turning plot that follows. The implicit message of Megillat Esther is that human history is orchestrated not by wealthy kings and businessmen, but by God, um, even if God is behind the scenes. Um, amazing stories like that of the Jews and their salvation from um, Haman remind us that Hashem is in control and that there are certainly crucial uh, human elements like Mordechai and Esther, um, but he is the puppeteer, that is Hashem is the puppeteer 
pulling all the strings behind the curtain. So I think the political drama of the first chapter uh, serves as a uh, contrast for what we should be thinking about in terms of who is really in control and how does history actually unfold. Okay. Great. I have a maybe complimentary thought.